Dark Shark, known as the Megalodon, really is something out of a horror film. In fact, they made several horror films featuring Megalodons, including one called The Meg, which I don't highly recommend, but it's pretty entertaining. It is the largest shark to ever swim our oceans ever, three times the size of the great white we would know from Jaws. It vanished from our oceans about 3.6 million years ago. Now, because sharks are mainly cartilage, like a human nose more than, say, a leg bone, there are a few fossils that can be used to find out more about the massive predators and what they may have looked like, how much they would have eaten, etc. But now researchers have used a rare specimen, uh, a rare vertebral column specimen of megalodon, as well as teeth and computer modeling to create a 3D model of the so-called transoceanic super predator. And they've come up with some incredible new theories about how big it was, how fast it swam, what it ate, and how far it roamed. Joining me now is Jack Cooper. He's a PhD candidate at the University of Swansea in Wales, and he was part of the research team that uncovered these things about Megalodon. Thanks for your time. What a fascinating subject. Oh, thank you so much, and thanks for having me. So for listeners who may not be entirely familiar with the megalodon. Uh, what was it and when did it swim in our oceans? So the short answer is that megalodon was a giant shark, but specifically it was the biggest shark that has ever lived. It grew to about 20 meters or 65 feet long, and it lived all over the world uh, between 23 and 3 million years ago. And we're not quite sure, or do we know why it went extinct? There's a couple of theories. It's thought that possibly they had to endure some competition, perhaps from evolving great whites. But at the time of the Pliocene, when they went extinct, we also see quite a lot of sea level changes and ultimately a decrease in that sea level, which would have ruined their coastal habitats and their nurseries and also killed quite a lot of their prey. So that would ultimately mean less room to move around and less food which, given how big Megalodon was, it would have needed quite a lot of food. So it may well have starved into extinction, for all we know. 98,000 calories a day was what I saw, which is a lot of calories uh, to keep the motor running. Now, given just this is this is common to sharks in general, but it's hard to get a fossil record of a shark. Why is that? Yes, that's generally the case. So there's basically two sets of fossils for sharks as the fossils are very good and those that are not and the only really good fossils for sharks are their teeth because they are very very hard and therefore preserve quite well and they've also constantly been shed by sharks throughout their lives one shark can go through thousands and thousands of teeth in its life so we find loads of shark teeth across the fossil record but the rest of the skeleton is made out of cartilage which is much softer and because of that, the skeleton tends to decompose after the shark dies. So we often only have teeth left behind. I guess the teeth can only tell you so much as well. Yes, there is quite a lot you can learn from teeth. You can learn how big the shark was. You can figure out what it was eating. And you can maybe get an idea of how it was eating. But that was about it, really. I should say that Megalodon's uh, teeth were about the size of a cell phone, <laughs> apparently, which is which is amazing to think about. There was a particular fossil um, of a Megalodon that was found ages ago that appeared to have been kept in a museum in Belgium. Tell me a bit about that and how valuable that was to you. Yes. So as I mentioned before, Megalodon's skeleton typically decomposed after it dies. 
But very, very occasionally, you will get calcified vertebrae preserving under the right circumstances. And for those who don't know, those are essentially fossils that make up the shark's spine or backbone. Uh, those are incredibly rare fossils. They tend to be found as single fossils. But in Belgium in the 1860s, one fossil discovered there was a fossil of more than 140 of these vertebrae that all came from the same megalodon shark. And this has been stored at the Royal Belgian Institution of National Sciences uh, all that time. So it's basically sat in a basement for roughly the last 150 years. It seems remarkable. Consider I, I gather that in the in the nineties there was some uh, attempt to study it, but really not much, or at least the technology at the time didn't allow for for researchers to find out a whole lot more about megalodon. Uh, yes, so it's one of the most well cited papers about megalodon. It came from nineteen ninety six and was led by a paleontologist named Mike Godfrey. Essentially, there's a section of the paper where they talk about this vertebral column. And what they basically do is say, this is where it was from, this is where it was discovered, this is roughly how old it was. And they do make an attempt to calculate the size based on the relationship between the size of the largest vertebra and the total length in the great white shark. Now, this notably only used one of the 140 fossils okay. and was based on an assumption that Megalodon was a direct ancestor to the great white shark. And in the 25 years since that paper came out, we now know this wasn't actually the case. They were more like distant cousins than direct relatives. So then, with equipped with, with I guess, the, the tools of this time, uh, of now, uh, you set about with a team, I gather, to uh, take this fossil record, again, these, these vertebrae, and, uh, and the teeth, and try to start to really get a much better idea of what Megalodon was all about. And, and so where did you start? So interestingly, this project actually came about uh, from the minds of Dr. Kathleen Pimiento, my supervisor at Swansea, and also Professor John Hutchinson at the Royal Veterinarian College. And the two of them met at a conference. Uh, Catalina works on megalodon and on other sharks, whereas John tends to work on 3D modeling, and he tends to use complete skeletons of extinct animals like T-Rex to get an idea of reconstructing the body. And they started to collaborate on this project so that they could 3D scan this entire vertebral column and then recreate it using computer modeling. And from that, they can ultimately try and get an idea of Megalodon's body and reconstruct it around that column. I came on board a few years later because to fill in some of the gaps of Megalodon's body, we tend to use the great white shark as an ecological analog. And I'd had experiences working in South Africa up close with great white sharks. So when I joined the project, not only did I get to measure the vertebral column in Belgium, but I got to use some of my connections in South Africa to get us an entire 3D scan of a great white shark, which really helped fill in Megalodon's body. It must have been it must have been pretty exciting to see that famous uh, fossil, that famous vertebra of the Megalodon. Oh, yes. It's the coolest fossil I've ever had to look at. Oh, no, I have seen some very cool shark jaw fossils. So I'm a bit biased towards this huge column. But that's mainly because it's pretty much the only fossil of its kind in the entire world. 
So once you had this all done, uh, I gather you then set about really trying to, you know, fill in the blanks when it came to Megalodon. We we knew we knew something about it, but not a whole lot. So with this 3D imaging, uh, what have you been able, first of all, how did you build the 3D image and what did it allow you to learn? So to build the 3D image, not only did we recreate the vertebral column, we also used 3D scans of an associated dentition of a Megalodon from America. And that's basically a collection of teeth that all came from one individual shark. And this allowed us to essentially recreate as complete a Megalodon skeleton as we can. And we then filled in the gaps of the rest of the body using great white shark material because of their uh, close ecology. And once we do that, we can essentially recreate the flesh around that body outline. And this allows us to not only figure out how long the shark was, specifically the shark that this column came from, but you also recreate what's called a volumetric mesh model, where you can calculate volume and then its body mass. And it's that body mass that is so important because it links to how sharks move and how they eat. I'm speaking with Jack Cooper. He's a PhD candidate at the University of Swansea in Wales, part of a research team into Megalodon. Uh, they've done some 3D imaging of the world's the largest shark to ever swim in our seas um, and have learned a lot about this apex predator in doing so. Stuff we just didn't know or couldn't figure out with what already existed out there, mainly through a fossil record using teeth. Uh, so, Jack, what have you learned? I mean, we knew that this was the biggest shark to ever swim our seas. We had an idea that, of course, it would have been you know, the, the apex predator of its time, but you've been able to figure out that it was in fact even more uh, impressive or daunting depending on, on what you were uh, than we even imagined. What we first did from the model was we calculated its size and our model was about 16 meters long or 52 feet. Wow. So that's quite close to the biggest size we've calculated a megalodon and its body mass was over 61.5 tons. And that is directly linked to cruising speed or casual swim speed of living sharks. So we use that to calculate how fast the shark would have been swimming when it went out for a casual stroll across the ocean. And we also use that to figure out uh, how big the stomach was and also how many calories that the megalodon needed to eat per day. Uh, this was, and this, as you figured out, and I've seen the 3D modeling, this was just a massive creature who needed to eat a lot and could travel incredible distances. Tell me a bit more about that. Yes. So I'll start with the distances because that's something we can really relate to living sharks. And what we calculate was that Megalodon's cruising speed was about 1.4 meters per second or about five kilometers per hour. And that's about as fast as a person walks because it's just casually swimming around the ocean going about its day. But it means that Megalodon, if it fancied, could have traveled quite far in a day. And this would indicate that it might have been able to migrate, possibly transporting nutrients between distant habitats. And this is quite cool to see because this is something we see great whites doing today. A great white named Nicole famously swam from South Africa all the way to Australia about 10 or 15 years ago. And from this, we also looked into the stomach volume and the daily energy requirement of Megalodon. And we found that its stomach volume was almost 10,000 liters. And that's big enough to have fully consumed an eight meter prey item, which is about as big as today's killer whales. And we also found that it needed to eat over 98,000 kilocalories a day. That's an incredible amount of cal calories. So obviously marine mammals were its favorite lunch, but uh, so it could eat an orca without too many bites, I gather, or a great white or, you know, or, or a, uh, a great whale as well without too many bites. It was, it was just 
massive. It, it, we, do we know that it could sort of take on prey of this size? So we do have some evidence in the fossil record of what Megalon was eating based on bite marks on various marine mammals. We have seen bite marks on the tails of dolphins. So that might suggest it was trying to stop the dolphin getting away. We've seen bite marks on actually some ribs of quite big whales. And we've also seen bite marks on the tooth of a sperm whale. And that's quite significant because sperm whales were about as big as orcas at the time. And they might have been pretty good candidates for Megalodon's largest prey. So given your your in-depth knowledge of the Great White, and I think a lot of us understand the Great White to be the apex predator of now, uh, in the as far as sharks are concerned at least, how much bigger and how much faster was Megalodon? So this is an interesting uh, question because with the cruising speed we used from um, average speeds, and we found that Megalodon would have been on average swimming at a casual swim speed faster than any living predator we looked at. But when we looked at the individual levels, we did see some individual great whites that could swim faster than the model. So this might indicate some competition between Megalodon and some of the great white ancestors, which has been proposed as an extinction mechanism. But in terms of the size, well, the biggest uh, great whites are about six to seven meters long. And if we consider Megalodon's biggest size of 20 meters, we're talking about a shark that was up to three times bigger than some of the largest great whites. It, unbelievable. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like a great white the size of a whale shark. Right? It's <laughs> just massive. Um, what what is this? I mean, in, in a nutshell, what has this allowed you to figure out that that you needed to know or wanted to know about Megalodon? So there's two main implications of all of this, as it's quite a lot of information. Mm. And the first is that megalodon could eat rather large prey the size of today's apex predators and this means that not only could it eat this large prey to consume lots and lots of energy and therefore fuel a migration across the entire ocean but it means that it was probably a trophic level beyond any marine apex predator alive today so this might be what we would call a transoceanic super predator and what's particularly fascinating about that conclusion is that just a few months ago, there have been two papers that have come out that have already suggested Megalodon's trophic level was uniquely high based on nitrogen and zinc isotopes. So this seems to agree with those results. And ultimately, what that means is that Megalodon may have been transporting nutrients all around the world and also regulating prey populations on a global scale. So when it went extinct, there would have been enormous cascading effects across the entire marine food web. What now? Now that you've figured this out, I, get, I imagine there's always more work to do. What's next? There's definitely some work ongoing. Uh, one thing I'm working on is I'm very interested in knowing how this individual that we make the model from grew. There was a previous study that suggested that this shark was 46 years old when it died. Uh, but one of the things it relied on was that early calculation from the 90s that assumes that Megalodon had a basically identical skeleton to the great white shark. And they used only one fossil to make this calculation, which suggested it was only about nine meters. But when we reconstructed the entire column for this model, we found the column alone was over 11 meters long, so bigger than this original estimate. And considering that the model itself came to almost 16 meters, I'm now very interested in revisiting that growth rate and seeing perhaps when Megalodon 
uh, became an adult or how long it could live or just how big those babies were when it was born. Well, Jack Cooper, a fascinating, uh, fascinating venture that you're involved in. Uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, new information about uh, Megalodon, uh, the world's the biggest shark to ever swim in our oceans. Thanks so much. Thank you.